Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, July the 6th, 2022. It is currently 10.13 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. And this podcast episode is really designed for one person. It really is designed for one person because we're going to be dealing with an email that someone sent to me, and this is going to be my response to that email. And I hope as they listen It benefits them, but I hope all the rest of you who really, you're just kind of eavesdropping into a conversation, right? That's, that's really what's going to be. You're just eavesdropping. Someone emailed me, I'm responding to them and I'm inviting everyone else to pay attention because I think that this person raises a lot of issues and questions that probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you have similar problems with me, maybe similar issues with some of the things I say. So hopefully by you kind of eavesdropping into this conversation, maybe I can help clarify some positions. Maybe I can just make something crystal clear in your mind and then you realize that you don't like anything about me and you never want to listen to me again. That, that That's always the possibility and fear. Sometimes the more clarification you offer, well, the more you lose people listening to you. But, uh, well, clarification um, has to be made, and I just have to live with those consequences, whether good or bad. Now, before I do anything else, let me say this. To the person who emailed me, I'm going to be responding to your comments and the point that you made. I, at any point in time, if I, well, let me state it this way. At any point in reading your email and responding to the points, there will be times where I'm really more responding to maybe the issue brought brought up, the subject you brought up, and not you as a person. So you may bring up a certain subject, and I may offer criticism or or whatever I may say, but it's not directed at you. It's directed at the topic. It's directed at the subject, because many of the issues you brought up, I received lots of emails bringing up similar issues maybe not as well thought out as, as your email, but others bring up the same, some of the similar issues, let's say that. And so if I seem to be being, how can we say this, blunt, or you may feel like I'm being mean or if I'm being sarcastic, it's not directed toward you. It may be directed towards the subject. It may be directed towards the issue. It may be directed about about that, not towards you. So don't take anything I say personally. Now, it may be you may not like what I say because I may be disagreeing with a perspective or you may hold to a different view about what I'm speaking of, but it's not directed at you. It's always the danger when you respond to an email. Sometimes you're trying to respond to the issue the person emailed you about, but they feel like that you're attacking them. And it's like, no, I'm not attacking you. We just disagree on this issue. So think of it this way. Um, I have a a bottle of water here, and I'm setting it in the middle of the table, all right? The bottle of water is the issues you bring up. You're on one side of the table, I'm on the other. I'm going to be speaking to that bottle of water, not to you. Not to you. It's not an attack upon you. It's nothing about you. It's about the issues. And again, we may we may find agreement. We may find disagreement. We You may just understand my perspective and go, oh, okay, that's not what I thought you meant. Or you may go, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I thought he meant. I can't believe how, 
Who gave him a microphone? And I can understand you may be yelling and screaming in your house and you may throw your phone and smash it into a million pieces. Just know that I am not responsible or liable for any phones that were about to be smashed because of this episode. Because many are going to strongly disagree because I definitely hold some very... I hold some perspectives that are very much in the minority in 2022 in the evangelical church. All right. So I hope that that, um, so I'm very aware that you may not agree. So let's get to this. This email deals with a lot of issues. I didn't really know how to, what title do I get for this episode? So I called it politics, culture, and the church. I have very, 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 very strong and minority opinions when it comes to politics and the church and the culture, when I say culture, the culture wars and the church, I probably should have called it culture wars instead of just culture. But when I look at what's happening within evangelical Christianity, here is my basic, my basic philosophy when it comes to evangelical Christianity in 2022. It has been politically hijacked, all right? The church is looking to politics to do what we should be looking to the gospel to accomplish. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to baptize and disciple. We are not called to try to somehow reshape America into some Christian nation through politics and political power and political influence. No, I believe the church needs to focus on the proclamation of God's word, bringing people into the church, and discipleship, 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 and that we are not to combat the world with fleshly, in a fleshly way, with fleshly weapons, but with spiritual. I'm very, and I, so I believe one of the greatest dangers to the church is the political hijacking of the church. And I believe many cases, the church has become distracted from the things of God, from the kingdom of God, and from the word of God. And, and to engage in culture wars, trying to fight culture wars and trying, again, to make the culture think and act a, a way that they that we may feel is biblical, but we're doing so apart from the gospel, apart from regeneration, and apart from salvation. And I think all of that is, I just think that's the wrong way of thinking. I could try to articulate that more, but I could spend an hour going through all of that again. If you listen to my podcast on a regular, consistent basis, these are themes that come up all the time. So I, that's where I'm, I don't know where you are. Like, I don't, I I still have the bottle here in the middle of the table. I don't know where you are in your perspective, but at least so that you understand where I'm coming from. So if things about politics are going to be brought up or things happening in the culture, I'm going to be taking this very much a non-political, non-culture war kind of perspective. And I know many Christians don't like that. I understand that, but I'm doing so from a theological perspective. I hope that at least gets us started. So are we ready? Here we go. On July the 5th, 2022 at 8.10 p.m., so 14 hours ago, I received an email. I am not going to give the name of the individual because, again, it's not about the individual. It's about the things that they discuss. Now, a couple of things about this email. One, it's well thought out, very, very respectful. So I love that. It wasn't like, you know, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Like, I mean, typically I get emails like that. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're under, you're under satanic influence. You you don't know what you're, you're crazy. Okay. I, I probably should breathe uh, when I'm trying to talk, when you're trying to breathe and talk at the same time. Okay. 
right? Just we're going to have a little bit of fun here before we get to before this gets all serious, all right? But I very very much appreciate how they approach this because you know when I, when I saw when I saw oh no I got an email oh boy because I, I hate to say that that's typically my response when I look at my email inbox I'm like oh no oh no oh no 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 okay what did I do wrong now okay who's mad at me today okay because I get probably far more emails disagreeing complaining condemning, judging. I probably get more of those than I get anything that's positive. And that's okay. It's easier. People are far more motivated to write when they're upset or bothered than they are if they like a sermon. If they like a sermon, they're they're not as near as motivated to go, wow, that was really good. Thank you. That was very helpful. No, it's the people who don't like it. The people who are angry. The people who are mad. I got, I got a notification today that someone had posted comments on Podbean I haven't tried to go find out which messages it's on. Um, the, 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 it doesn't tell me which messages. So someone posted comments on Podbean uh, on one of our episodes or two of our episodes. I can almost guarantee you they're extremely negative. I can almost guarantee you they are extremely negative. And I, I, I'm afraid to even try to find find them. I don't even want to, I don't even want to see them because I guarantee you they're probably negative. That's just the way it works, right? That's just the way it works. If someone doesn't like uh, your message, they're far, they're probably much more likely to give it a thumbs down on Pandora than they will a thumbs up. I think Spotify now has a thumbs up, thumbs down rating. People are more likely to give it a thumbs down than a thumbs up. It's just we're motivated to act when we don't like something far more than when we do like it. When we do like it, we're just like, okay, that was good. That was great. Move on. If we don't like it, we're like, I've got to let someone know. I've got to let someone know. So I'm always like worried when I get an email. So uh, to be honest, when I got the email, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So we're just going to walk through it line by line. And hopefully this will, hopefully when it's over, even though there may be disagreement still with the original emailer, or it may be still disagreement with you listening, maybe we can at least come somewhat closer to the issues and find some common ground, right? We're not going to probably find agreement, but maybe we can find some common ground. And I hope you understand that my perspective is just I'm trying to maintain the most theological and biblical perspective I feel I can, and I know others are trying to do the same thing, and sometimes that means, well, we won't agree, and that's just the reality of it, but let's see what we can do. Here we go. It says, Dear Sir, again, very respectful, I listened to your podcast with open mind. Now, stop right here. The only problem with the emails, I have no idea what message this is in regards to. All right. So I just have to say this to anyone who ever emails me. You got to let me know. You got to tell me what message because I don't have a clue. I, 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 I know the average person emailing me probably doesn't understand exactly how much content we produce in a week, how many hours of live broadcasting we're doing. So you email me and sometimes I'll be like, wait, I said wait, what, what are they talking about? Wait, when did I say that? Wait, what message was that? And sometimes I'm literally like just completely baffled and confused. And I'm like, I, and so I have to sit there and try to figure it out. So if you tell me the message, 
then at least I can go back if I need to and listen to it really quick and go, okay, okay, okay. I know what I was trying. Because sometimes I don't remember exactly what was in my mind at that. I mean, I well, especially if I don't know which message. But a lot of times I need to go back and at least listen for a minute and I'll go, okay, I can see the date. And I'm like, okay, I know what I was thinking. Oh, that, I know what was motivating my 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 discussion. So that probably really influenced how I said certain things. So it's just, if whenever you email me, if you let me know which message, that just goes a long way to help me know what's going on. But all right, I listen to your podcast with an open mind. Thank you so very much first for listening. Thank you for trying to have an open mind because I know my perspective typically is very contrary to what a lot of people think. There are certain, there are certain ideals that I see what you're saying and agree with you to a point. However, I watched politics and culture move into my church and denomination in a way that mirrors what happened to the mainline churches before they fell away. I thought the best way to reply would be to offer a perspective from someone in the SBC that has stayed informed throughout the years. Of course, prayerfully, considering anything I have to say, I'm always open to correction and do not uh, ever want to mislead anyone um, when it comes to our faith. Well, very humble, very much aware that they could, they don't want to be wrong. They're open to correction. And let me make it very clear. I'm very aware that I could be wrong and I'm open to correction as well. Now, as now we can be open to correction and still may come to very much disagreement, right? You may feel that my correction is incorrect and I may feel like your correction is incorrect, but hopefully we will at least, you will consider what I have to say as I'm going to consider what you are saying to me, all right? So, and it seems that this person's perspective is they have seen what they call politics. Let me read this again. Um, how politics and culture move into a church and a denomination, right? And so they, they, they are coming at this from a perspective. They're worried, it seems, of how politics and culture can come into a church and obviously do great damage to it, destroy it, or lead it to apostasy. Now, here's where my perspective confuses people. So you've got to hear me out. Before we even go any further, I think this is such an important point of clarification. I 1,000% agree that politics and culture has snuck in unawares to many denominations and many churches, and it's been absolutely devastating and destroyed it. I completely agree. Here's where people tend to get very confused by my perspective. I spend most of my time focusing on the politics coming from the right and the culture of the right coming into the church, not the politics and the culture of the left coming into the church. And let me explain why. I believe in most cases, the churches that embrace a left-leaning politic or a left-leaning cultural ideas those churches in most cases have al had already abandoned any biblical historical theology. In other words, those churches were, had, were compromised theologically, and their theological compromise had them look to something other than the Word of God, and they looked to left-leaning political ideology. 
In other words, they were already comp- they were already liberal theologically. They were already compromised theologically. They were already denying things like the the inspiration of Scripture and the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and maybe even calling the question his deity or his virgin birth, or or so many uh, or the doctrine of hell, or so many other issues. They had already compromised theologically. So when I look to the le- I, I believe left leaning politic left-leaning ideology typically finds it way, its ways into denominations and churches that have already abandoned conservative, conservative not politically, con- conservative theological perspectives. So I, I, that's why I always focus on the right-leaning politic and the right-leaning cultural ideologies, and here's the reason why. I think the church's most vulnerable to right-leaning politics and right-leaning culture happens to be churches that I think in many cases are theologically sound and are biblically sound. But what happens is without even realizing it, they bring in the right-leaning politics, the right-leaning approach to culture, and they try to mix it with their biblically conservative theology, and it ends up creating a hybrid that destroys True biblical theology. It becomes now a mixture of right-leaning politics with conservative theology. And it and it at times may sound good because it's like it's taking a stand for morality, it's taking a stand for right, but it's doing so more from a political perspective than a theological perspective. So let me state it again. On the left, I do understand that left-leaning politics and cultural ideology have come into the church. But those churches open for the left-leaning politic are typically churches that had already abandoned biblical theology. So I don't focus on that. I'm worried about the churches like, oh man, you've got good, sound biblical theology. You preach the word of God. But what are you doing? No, 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 no. You're starting to sound more like Fox News and Tucker Carlson than than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're starting to sound like Glenn Beck and Mark Levine. And no, no, no. What do you do? You're mixing all of that with the Bible. And no, you you were you were you were on the right path. What's happening? Those other churches, there would be no point in arguing against their left-leaning politic. Why? It's not their politic that's in question. They abandon theology. So for the left, it's not even about their politics. It's me like, we've got to talk about the Bible and theology. On the right, I'm like, wait, I agree with your theology, but what have you done to it? You've covered it up in an American flag with a gun laying on top. You've turned it into something other than Christianity. It's now some weird Republican hybrid of religion. I don't know what it is. So that's why I tend to focus on the quote-unquote threat from the right and not the threat from the left. The threat on the left, I don't even care about their politics, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I don't even care. I don't care about the fact that they may have a, a gay pride flag in front of their church. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about anything they're doing. Like What I need to talk to them about is theology, doctrine, because that's their issue. On the right, it's like, no, we may already agree on the theology, but I have to go, what are you doing with that? You've got to get the politics out. See, for the left, they don't need to get the politics out. They need to get right theology in. And then I think that should remove 
the politics. But at that point, once they get the right theology, then we can talk about the politics. But I think right theology in many cases would stand against many of the left-leaning concepts. On the right, they've already got the right theology. We've just got to purge out the political hijacking of it. Right? Does that, does that, I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. But I understand their concern. They've watched this happen and they are concerned. I have a feeling that their concern may be more focused on what the left is doing while ignoring the right. And I think the right, if you're in a conservative church with a, I want conservative theologically, okay, and, and with sound biblical doctrine, the threat to your church is not the left. It's the right. That's my perspective. And I know everyone disagrees with me, but that's okay. All right, here we go. Number one, when you say this could destroy Christianity, nothing will destroy Christianity. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, here's what I mean by that. When I say that the right is coming, because typically I view this from the right perspective. When I see the Republican right-leaning political ideology coming into the church and hijacking the church, I typically say that this is trying and attempting to remove and write biblical Christianity off the face of the earth. And what I mean by that is in the general corporate church, the, the, main, the church that we see in general, just to, let's say this, the church in general is slowly but surely being hijacked from the left. We have all of those mainstream denominations that have already been hijacked from the left. And now on the right, we have all of these conservative churches being politically hijacked from the right. So you have a, a, a politically corrupted church from the left, a politically corrupted church from the right, and historical biblical Christianity, it, as far as like being just open and visible in general, is being wiped from the face of the earth. Yes, Christ, the Bible will still exist, and there will be Christians, but I believe from uh, my view in eschatology, let me just go to you. I'll just explain this. Here's where I think we're headed. And not everyone agrees with me, but that's okay. Here's where I think we're headed. If I can find it, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm just going to read it from the translation that I have here in front of me, all right? But know this. Hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, proud, deeming, uh, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying the power, avoid these people. Now, a lot of times people read this and apply it to the culture, and I think that's incorrect. And here's the reason why. It says lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The people in the world have never been lovers of God. They've always loved pleasure more than lovers of God. So this is not referring to the lost world. This is referring, 2 Timothy 3 is referring to what's going to happen to the church. The church in general is going to apostatize. The church in general is going to become a completely apostatized institution. I'm not saying we're there yet, but there yet, but it's happening. And one of the ways that's happening right now is the political hijacking of the church. So what I'm saying is in just, if you just look out in general, you're going to look around going, where is biblical Christianity? 
It's been removed from the face of the earth. It's going to be removed from just in general. Oh, it's going to be there, but it may not be just right there. All the Many of the visible churches are going to be so corrupt and so apostatized that the biblical Christianity and the the church that will not, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it is no longer going to be, well, maybe sitting there on the street corner. It may be, quote unquote, more underground, more invisible. It's going to be, it's going to have to manifest itself in a way that won't be as visible because the visible church is going to become more and more apostate and apostatize more and more and more. So when I say that I believe these are attempts to eradicate biblical Christianity from the face of the earth. And I, and again, on the left, I, they already abandoned Christianity. But in these conservative churches, they don't even realize it's happening. They're so embracing politics that they're slowly but surely rewriting biblical Christianity to turn into something other. They're, they're putting in biblical Christianity's place some political mutated monster that is other than biblical Christianity. Now, biblical Christianity will exist because, well, we have the word of God, right? We have the word of God. No matter what the ch- how the churches are corrupted, the word of God cannot be corrupted, right? It's going to be preserved. And so there will be those who believe in Christ, and there will be those who will just, we may, ha- we may look around and go, well, the I, where do, I don't know what to do. The churches everywhere are falling apart. The churches everywhere are corrupt. And, and, and Christianity or the church will end up manifesting itself in a way not like we currently see with just big buildings, church on the corner. No, many of those institutions are, are going to be so politically corrupted that we're not going to know where to go from the left and from the right. So when I say... Uh, this could destroy Christianity. I'm saying it could destroy biblical Christianity as far as the mainstream in, in, in what's visible in that way, that this is an attempt to eradicate it. And that, yes, if, it was, if, if everyone becomes politically hijacked, well, then I think biblical Christianity is under threat. I just don't think ultimately it will happen because, well, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God will keep his word. And obviously I believe heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will abide forever. So we're in agreement there. It's just the way I word it. I word it as a warning. I'm trying to wake people up and say, there is a threat. You're going to be sitting in a church one day. Think of it this way. Think of it just from a, a, a one church perspective. You're sitting in church, okay? You're, 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 all of you are sitting in church going, man, that church across the street, those left-leaning liberal uh, apostates, man, that, that, they, they've abandoned everything. Look at them. They're a mess. And then nobody is paying attention that in your own church, next thing you know, you're being influenced by Republican right-leaning political ideology, being more influenced by Fox News than the Bible. And before you even realize it, biblical Christianity has been eradicated from your church and what's been put in its place is a corrupted, politicized gospel. That is what I'm trying to talk about. In that sense, for that church, biblical Christianity has been destroyed. Biblical Christianity has been erased and something has put in its place. Biblical Christianity will still exist because the word of God still exists, right? I hope that makes sense, All right? Number two, the left has been just as guilty in using the church. 
Oh, I completely agree. Now, let me go back to, I completely agree. The left has been just as guilty as using the church. The difference is, I think the left finds its way into churches that had already abandoned biblical theology and biblical Christianity. And those churches, biblical theology and biblical Christianity had already been destroyed and wiped out. And it was done so not by politics, but by liberal theology, higher criticism, modernism, new evangelicalism, seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven, all of these other kind of models and fleshly concepts came into the church. These churches had already became so compromised theologically that then the left-leaning politic could just move in and go, hey, you don't have anything. You don't have an inspired Bible. You may not even have a a, a, a Jesus that's truly God. You may not even have an, a, a, the, the, a virgin born savior. You don't even have substitutional, a substitutionary atonement. You don't even worry about the doctrine of hell. You don't really have anything theological anymore. So what, what, when a church abandons theology, what are they going to turn to? They're going to turn to politics. They're going to turn to culture wars. They're going to turn to, to a, a very, can we say a social gospel because they don't have anything else. So the left, I would say it this way. It's not that the left is guilty of using the church. The left moved into churches that had left theology. They've stopped being churches. They became political organizations and social organizations and, and, and community groups and more than they became church. They'd already abandoned theology. Right, so that, that's that's the way I would explain that. All political parties attempt to sway block votes of people groups. I agree. Political parties attempt to sway block votes of people. I completely agree that they do so. Um, only the left had had and has a systematic plan on how to go about it. I'm, I think that that's I, 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 that's that's a major put it this way that's a major assertion that only the left has a way to sway uh, votes. There are entire political organizations for the right, voter organizations where they're there how to sway voters, how to get voters. What are the talking points? The right is just as organized politically and come up with just as many plans and just as many schemes and just as many campaign slogans and camp. They've got they've got campaign strategists on the right, just like they do on the left, and their their job is to sway votes. Their job is to look for what will resonate with their voter block. The right does the exact same thing. All right. Here's the thing that we need to be worried about. And whatever the issue is of the day, that's how they sway people. So I I would highly, I would challenge that, that it's just the left. No, the right has a systematic plan to go about it as well. It says, read the the naked uh, communist. Okay. Well, I could read that book, and guess what? I can read other books about the rights, ideas, and plans to sway votes. I mean, it, it, you can't just look at it from one side. Both political, look, here's the goal. Both political parties want this. They want power. They want position. And to get that, they need votes. So both of them have entire teams of people coming up with plans and strategies and, and trying to figure out what our vote, what will motivate our base voters to come out and vote. Both sides do this. 
And I think it would be very disingenuous and very unfair to say one side does it and not the other. It's like one side, it's just crass, fleshly politics. But on the right, it's, you know, it's much more genuine and not fleshly and not crass. Come on. It, it's the same on both sides. So there, there we would have to have a disagreement there. All right, so number one, when you say they talk about me, it's talking about destroying Christianity. Number two, they talk about the left has been just as guilty as using the church, which we agree. All political parties attempt to sway block votes. We agree on that. You say only the left has uh, has had a plan, a systematic plan to go about it, and I disagree. The right is constantly working out their plans as well. Maybe, maybe different methodologies, maybe different messages, but trust me, both are involved in doing that. And guess what? The right, the left may use the quote-unquote liberal church, and the right is trying to use the conservative church. And both are trying to sway those people and those theological background, those theological circles to come out and vote for their political party. So both, both will use the church. Both will go after it. All right, number three. The cultural issues become church issues when hundreds of Southern Baptist pastors begin to follow SBC big names and combine social justice, woke ideology with Christian beliefs. All right. Now, here's the thing. And you got to hear what I'm about to say. Culture always finds its way into the church. I completely agree. This always happens. So then the cultural issue, quote unquote, becomes a church issue. But the church issue is not to go out and fight the cultural issue within the culture. The church issue becomes to fight that cultural issue that's crept into the church by fighting against it, by preaching biblical doctrine and theology that that cultural issue or that cultural ideology is incompatible with. It's not like, hey, I got to go out there and fix, think of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church. The church was located in a city. The city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he doesn't tell them to go out into Corinth and fix the, the city's problems and fight the culture wars. No, he fights against the things that have come into the church through saying, here's the biblical way to think. Here's the godly way to think. So in that sense, you're not fighting the culture war. You're fighting a theological war. Your way to fight the theological war is by preaching and teaching biblical theology, not fighting and arguing over cultural issues. And I also find it interesting that, once again, uh, that the issue is how some in the SBC have followed for social justice or woke ideology. Where is the concern about the big SBC who've embraced conservative political ideology? Look, I'm just as worried about woke, quote-unquote, social justice ideology as I am with Christian nationalism, with, with right-wing political ideology corrupting the church. The left and the right, both are poisons systematically eating away at the church. So we're going to wake up one day and we're either going to have to choose a right politically hijacked church or a left politically hijacked church. And I'm not going to choose 
either because both are wrong equally. All right? Well, you can may point out to some of people in the SBC who have embraced woke justice, social justice ideology. I'll point to First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, Pastor Robert Jeffress and his complete politicized from the right, always on Fox News, all of the stuff he's done. I, I, no, I, I'm just as against that as anything you point from the from the left leaning side. Robert Jeffress, who basically, basically full-blown Christian nationalism. I mean, it, it, the church is so politically hijacked, it's not even funny. So if you want to point to the ones on the left, I can point to the SBC and point to the ones to the right. Now, I, if, if you're bothered by the left, then be bothered by the right, and then we're in complete agreement. So if the issue is, and I've got the, a bottle of water again right in the middle of the table. If the issue is the political hijacking of the church, and you're willing to include in your bottle of water both left and right hijacking, then we're in 1,000% agreement. If your only concern is social justice, so-called woke ideology, while ignoring pastors over there preaching clear Republican talking points, <laughs> we're not on the same page. We're not on the same page. And so if I hear a sermon where I'm like, whoa, 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 they're, they're leaving theology and they're embracing something to the left, then the, I, I'm, I'm going to fight that by preaching biblical theology. They go on to say this. The cultural issues become church issues when hundreds of Southern Baptist pastors begin to follow SBC big names and combine social justice, woke ideology with Christian beliefs. When a pastor teaches critical race theory from the pulpit, it is a concern for the church. Oh boy, critical race theory. Here we come. Here is what I would ask you to do. Send me a link to a sermon where critical race theory is being taught from the pulpit. I will review it. And if biblical theology is not being taught and a biblical theology is not being is being violated i will expose it condemn it and 100% rebuke it now a couple of issues that happen here most people who say critical race theory either one they can't define it right in any way meaning in any meaningful way and two, it seems like if you just speak about anything regarding racism and that racism is wrong, racism is a sin, racism has been a plague in this nation where we enslaved human beings and sold them and the SBC supported much slavery and in many cases supported segregation, well then guess what? That's not critical race theory. That's calling out the wrong and the sin. So when people say critical race theory, I always get nervous. If you've got a sermon where clearly they're preaching critical race theory, clearly, not someone told you it's critical race theory, I will listen to it and I will do everything I can to figure out to ensure that it's not critical race theory. But critical race theory, let me just explain what happened here because I think this is important, all right? Critical race theory is an academic theory that basically that's been around for more than 40 years. And no one started talking about it until, wait, let's see. Oh, yeah. Fox News started talking about it. And they started talking about it. And they started talking about it. And they started talking about it. For example, 
critical race theory was mentioned 132 times on Fox News in the year 2020. Only 132 times. In 2021, it has been mentioned thousands. In 2021, it was mentioned thousands and thousands of times, according to the Media Monitoring Service Critical Mention. And recently, recently, it's been mentioned more than 100 times per day. Everything's critical race theory. Everything's critical. Critical race theory. See here, critical, critical race theory has become the boogeyman. It's been around for over 40 plus years. It's an academic theory. I agree with one pastor who said this about critical race theory. In an article posted at uh, Christianity Today, this is what one said about this, all right? So, uh, some inappropriately use the label of CRT to avoid legitimate questions or as a as a uh, basically as a club to dismiss any discussion of discrimination many cannot even define what CRT is maybe if many churches would have shown as much sorrow for the painful legacy that sin has left in regards to race within the church, and maybe if the church would have shown as much sorrow, concern, and pain over that legacy that they do in decrying CRT, we probably wouldn't be in this mess. If the church was as broken and upset by the way race has been handled in many churches in the United States of America, if we were upset about the racist past of many churches— as supposedly people are over critical race theory, we probably wouldn't be in this mess. But critical race theory has become the boogeyman. Everything's critical race theory. Oh, did you hear that pastor preached a sermon and he talked about how America was racist in the past? Critical race theory. Uh, No, America was racist in the past. When you purchase and sell human beings as property, Oh, and then you segregate them. Oh, and then you deny them basic rights like, nope, you can't come in through the front door. You got to go to the back door. Nope, you can't sit there in the bus. Nope, you can't use that water fountain. That's racism. It's real. It's there. Now, racism is a part of our sinful nature. And I think the only way to fight racism, once again, is the gospel and and preaching the Bible. So I think in some cases you can preach against racism. But if you're not offering the Bible, salvation, the gospel, discipleship, repentance, faith, if you're not offering the biblical solution, I don't think you're going to get anywhere because because racism is built into our, it's not built into, but it is very much a part of our sinful nature. That's where it comes from. That's how it arises, where we discriminate and hate people based off all kinds of differences and all kinds of different things. So I, I when... So I would say this, if you've got examples of people preaching critical critical race theory from the pulpit, send me the sermon. You don't even need to tell me where, and I will do everything in my power to consider what was preached in the sermon with the actual academic theory that most people, people, so anything is said now in a school between kindergarten and, and high school, and they're like, critical race theory, critical race theory is an academic theory taught in university level, usually in law schools. We, we now label everything critical race theory because, oh, let me see what it, oh, it became a boogeyman used to motivate voters to vote Republican. I wonder, 
Yeah, exactly how the left will find an issue and scare everyone to death about so that they will go vote. It's the same political technique. Scare everyone to death. Critical race theory. It's coming. It's going to destroy the world. Yeah, run. Oh, I got to go vote. I got to go vote. I got to stop critical race theory. Oh, and he's like, oh, how many books have you read on critical research? Well, I've never read one. Uh, did you ever take a college course or any kind of university level course? On crit- well, no, I never. Well, so where, where are you getting your information about critical racery? Well, Fox News. Well, Glenn Beck. Well, Sean Hannity. Well, Mark Levine. Newsmax. American Family Radio. Ah, gotcha. Have you ever, I don't actually read any of the actual books on critical race theory. Have you? Yeah. See, I'm not speaking to the person who emailed me. I'm just saying this in a general way. I'm not speaking to the person who emailed me. I'm just saying this in a general way. Most people like, they, well, well, and they'll always claim, oh, oh, I've researched it. I'm like, oh, show me your research. Oh, you researched what someone else researched and told you about critical race theory. And then, but you've never actually read. So you're believing what someone told you about it. And so then it becomes a major issue. But now, if there's a sermon out there that you believe clearly teaches critical race theory, send it to me. Send me the name of the church. I got no problem reviewing it. And I, and I will, and I'm, and I'm not saying that sarcastically. I got no problem going, whoa. But guess what? I'm not worried about the critical race theory. I'm going to be worried about how it is abhorrent to biblical theology. Like, if you're teaching a theory that is abhorrent or goes against biblical theology or not in agreement with biblical theology, then I will call it out. But I'm calling it out from theological grounds, not some political boogeyman that everyone is scared of. I'm going to look at it. Okay, wait, mm-hmm. he said what from the pulpit? Now, he may not even be preaching critical race theory. It, you just may perceive it to be critical race theory, but it still may be wrong in the sense of, well, wait a minute, that's not biblical. That's not theological. Let, let's, let, let's condemn it on that ground. In other words, he may not even be, someone may say something from the pulpit that everyone thinks is critical race theory just because now if you mention race, it's critical race theory. It's just because you mention race, it's not critical race theory. But okay, but they may say something in regards to race that still is turning the pulpit more into a political tool then a biblical tool, and then there, well, I would I would be willing to call it out. So I would say when a pastor teaches critical race theory from the pulpit, it is a concern for the church. Let me counter. When a pastor uses the pulpit to teach Christian nationalism, or if the pastor uses the pulpit to promote and preach basically Republican talking Republican talking points, it's a it's an issue. It's a church issue. See, for, for every bad thing from the left, I can point to equally bad things from the right. Let's continue. I know this is making me super popular. These men are trying to alter God's word by teaching it through a critical race lens, so to speak. Well, if, if you show me where they are teaching the word of God through a critical race theory lens right? And show me the sermon, I will call it out. And then guess what? When I hear a preacher on the right preach the Bible through a lens of Republican talking points, Christian nationalism, or a conservative political ideology, that is wrong too. In other words, it's on both sides. If one side has CRT, the other side thinks that they should read and preach the Bible through the lens of the Constitution of the United States of America, which we should not do. I don't believe critical race theory 
should be used in biblical hermeneutics, and I don't think the Constitution should be used in biblical hermeneutics. I don't think critical race theory should be used in hermeneutics. I don't think Tucker Carlson, Fox News, or Sean Hannity should be used in my biblical hermeneutics. So, So I'm in agreement with you but I, you're focusing on one side and ignoring the other side. And that's what always seems to happen in these conversations. Either people want to just condemn the right and ignore the left, or people want to condemn the left and ignore the right. And as long as that happens, Christianity is being written off the face of the earth because nobody is seeing what we're doing. We've got to say, no, both are wrong. We're the church. We're not your we're not your political plaything. We're not we're not going to prostitute ourselves to any political ideology, left or right. Stay out. This is the church. Not Rep- Republican headquarters, Democratic headquarters, not CRT headquarters, not any other headquarters. This is the church and we're going to preach Christ and him crucified. That is what we have to do. So I am in agreement, but then in somewhat a disagreement, if that makes sense. They go on to say, um, conservative Baptists are fighting for true doctrine, just like we are exhorted to in the Bible. They are fighting to get the culture out and stay true to Christ. Now, in any situation where a conservative Baptist is doing that, I agree. My, my fear for the conservative is it's easy to be fighting for biblical doctrine, but but not even realizing that you're embracing Republican talking points, Christian nationalism, and and you're 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 starting to bring that in. If you're keeping the if you're keeping that from the right out, and you're keeping that from the left out, and you're focusing on biblical doctrine, then here's my response. We're in complete agreement, but it's got to be the left and the right. And so what's so easy is to focus on the CRT, woke ideology, all of that, while completely ignoring what's happening around you. What, you, you many churches don't even see it. I'm like, what, what's, what's happening here? You're, 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 the whole patriotism brought into the church, so much. I mean, there's just so, I mean, I could go all, I mean, I talked about patriotism in the church in regards to 4th of July. I talked about it. So much of that has crept into the church and then basically becomes a, a patriotic idolatry. Well, in most cases, that comes from churches that are conservative, churches from the right. That's, that's a form of idolatry. That's just as wrong as bringing in something from the left. Look, the idol, an idol is wrong whether the idol is wearing Democratic colors or Republican colors. The idol is wrong whether it's wearing a Russian flag or an American flag. The, the idol is wrong whether it's using leftist ideology or right-leaning ideology. The idol is wrong regardless of the ideology or the politic connected to it. All idols have to go. So number one, uh, my, my talking about how Christianity is being destroyed. Number two, the, uh, the, le- the left being guilty of using the church. Number three, cultural issues. And then number four, sadly, SB leaders who embrace CRT, once again, we're going right back to CRT, and want the denomination to embrace it, generally use deflection as their first line of defense. 
That is, they accuse the conservatives of being political when they are the ones bringing politics into the church. Now, that may be true. That may be absolutely true. But those on the right will constantly condemn those on the left of bringing politics into the church, while those on the right are bringing politics into the church as well. It's happening on both sides. That is my, like, dogmatic assertion. It's happening on both sides. And it's true that those on the right, anytime someone even wants to say anything about racism, they're immediately accused of critical race theory. Or they quote some book written by someone supposedly preaching against critical race theory that completely misrepresents the theory and misquotes the people who actually taught the theory and then, well, gets called out. I won't go through all of that whole uh, absolute thing that we talked about in what Vodi or is it Vadi Bakum and his book on critical race theory that completely misrepresented what the books that he was supposedly quoting were actually saying. We did a whole thing about that. And, and the person who wrote the book was like, he's not, he's not quoting me. I did not say that. He missed, he placed that in quotations and that is not me. I did not say that. Well, when you have things misrepresenting what critical race theory actually says, that's a problem. And we talked about that in entire controversy and how that all went down in previous podcast episodes that, so I, I, I have no doubt that people who will quote unquote have nefarious motives with critical race theory and trying to bring it into the church. I have no question that they may use very underhanded ta- uh, uh, techniques and tactics to get it in and try to deceive and try to deflect. I, I got no problem believing that because I know my heart is just as prone to those kinds of actions as anybody else's. So I understand that, but trust me, those on the right, will use critical race theory as the the boogeyman for them to get their own position and to get their own power. And in many cases, they don't even, they're misrepresenting it and just using it in an opposite way. They go on to say, um, I have seen it done time and time again. They begin to teach leftist ideology in SB books and from pulpits where they're taken to task. They decry those taking them to task as being political, just like Finn does. Now, again, you hear a sermon that's doing these kinds of things. I got no problem. Send it to me. I'll call it out. I'll call it out if it's on the left. I call it out on the right. Typically, the churches that embrace this stuff on the left, their issue, though, isn't critical race theory. They've already abandoned the Bible. They've already abandoned the Bible being the inspired, infallible word of God. They've already, in many cases, already abandoned the deity of Christ, the virgin birth. They've already abandoned substitutionary atonement. They've already left so many things. So their issue, when I look at them, is not, I'm not going to fight them about critical race theory. I'm going to probably be more worried about the fact that they've abandoned biblical Christianity. Critical race theory is just a symptom of them abandoning biblical Christianity, So I'm going to be about trying to get biblical Christianity back, right? On the right, they still may be holding to biblical Christianity. So therefore it's more subtle, but they're bringing in these political ideologies and these political concepts that is not that, you know, it's not as easy to say, oh, CRT, but it's right there. They're bringing in their own stuff, but we don't see it on the right hand side. We've got to see it on both. I am an equal opportunity opportunity condemner of political hijacking of the church from both left and right. Number five, the author, now they say the author, 
I'm assuming they're referring to Finn. I think that's who they're referring to. Also blatantly assumes most Southerners were racist prior to the civil rights movement. Even growing up in Louisiana and Texas, almost all Christians I came in contact with did not hold to racist beliefs. Yes, they should have been more outspoken and done more to help minorities, but they weren't all dragged or forced into accepting equality for people of all colors. My Southern Baptist parents in 1960s taught me to treat everyone the same. Okay, well, I mean, that's that's just anecdotal evidence from your own experience. Your own experience in no way, shape, or form is describes the reality of what was going on in many SBC churches. The SBC churches supported... I mean, they, they it was designed at the very beginning dealing with issues of race in an absolutely unbiblical and ungodly way. All right, it, 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 put it this way. Let me state it this way. You don't say, well, I don't think racism was a problem because I never saw racism. Okay, that, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. All right, it doesn't work that way. Right? Racism exists whether we, whether you have seen it or I have seen it. I've never had to deal with Sharia law. I've never had to deal with living in a country dominated by very extreme uh, Islamic fundamentalists. But I believe Sharia law and Islamic fundamentalists exist and are a threat and a danger when they take over a region. I've never experienced it. So my experience does not determine reality. The reality is the church in many ways failed miserably when it came to issues of race. All right? That that has occurred. There's no way to get, I don't know why it's so, what's the problem with saying we were wrong, the church was wrong, we sinned, and we repent of that sin, and moving forward, we're going to do everything in our power to not uh, stand for or tolerate any form of racism or bigotry inside the church. I don't understand why that's such an how is that how is that controversial? Racism existed, racism still exists. Maybe not in the same level, maybe not in the same way, but it's still there. Racism will always exist. You know why? Because human beings are sinners. So racism can show up in so many different ways and it's there. What's the solution? It, confession, repentance, growing in grace. It's 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 basic Christianity 101. So I'm I'm praise God that you didn't have it in your home and you weren't taught that. Praise God that you did not see it. Hey, even more so, be grateful to God you never experienced it. You can probably talk to a lot of uh, African-Americans who happened to, I don't know, live in the 1960s, right? Um, you could probably look to some places in the 1960s where, I don't know, Jim Crow laws were in effect and where people were fighting for civil rights and, and uh, uh, you know, African-Americans were being, you know, beaten by the police who were marching for civil rights. And you can see all of the, the different things that were happening in Louisiana and in Texas. I mean, I've got, I've got people in my church, right, who African-American man, the woman is, is not African-American. And when they first came to my, my church, they asked me, and it was the most bizarre question, hey, would we be allowed to come to your church? And I'm like, wait, what? Well, we're, we're a mixed couple, and some churches won't allow us to. I'm like, wait, you're telling me that you've gone to churches that would not allow you to become members because one is black and the other is white? And you feel you have to ask for permission? 
Okay, that was not 1960 when that happened. That wasn't 1970. That wasn't 1980. That wasn't 1990. That wasn't 2000. That was somewhere, I think, in the 2010s when that occurred. That's insanity. So I can give anecdotal evidence as well. I can offer my own things of, of seeing things that have happened. So I, I, I don't understand. It's almost like any, it, this is what it's, it feels weird to me that sometimes anytime racism gets brought up, many times people get very like defensive. No, 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 no. Racism, it wasn't that bad. Racism wasn't all over the place. Whoa, slow down. Why are we so defensive when racism is brought up? Look at the things that happened. Go back and look at everything that happened while African-Americans were fighting for civil rights. Look at the things that happened to them. It was horrible. I mean, just remember... That's in the 50s and 60s where they start fighting for civil rights. Just go back in time. Oh, yeah. That entire race were sold as slaves, bought and sold as pieces of property here in the United States of America. Not even viewed as actual human beings in many cases. Viewed as property, almost like an animal. Then finally they're freed as slaves, but then they're denied rights. They're denied, denied the same rights and privileges that white people had. That's just wrong. It's okay to say that's wrong. That's not critical race theory. That's not left. That's not social justice. That's not woke. That's just humanity. Love your neighbor. That's, that's just being correct and calling out wrong as being wrong. Next, conservatives in the convention stand arm in arm with brothers of all colors who stay true to the word. It is only those churches who try to twist God's word and submit and support CRT that conservatives have an issue with. Again, if a church is, is supporting CRT and using it in an unbiblical way, just send me the example. I will, I will call it out, but make it very clear that just because you're, you're standing with people of different colors, standing against Liberal churches doesn't mean that you're not being corrupted from the right. Because it can happen. That's all I'm saying. I got no problem taking a stand against a church that's twisting God's word. I got no problem. I, but from the left or the right, I will condemn Robert Jeffress and his twisting of God's word to sound like he's, I don't know what in the world that mess is just as much as I will condemn some liberal pastor twisting God's word. Look at the three conservative candidates in the SBC, one African-American, one Hispanic, and one Caucasian. But the SBC has already gone too far left that none of them stood a chance to win in office. You have to embrace some amount of leftist culture to lead in the SBC. Okay, well, maybe that's true. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it is true. And if it requires that you have to embrace a leftist culture in order to be elected in the SBC, well then, okay, that's a problem. Let's, let's continue to preach biblical theology and call out any twisting of God's word from the left or the right. But everything here is about the left, 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 the left. It's almost like the right politically hijacking church is not even happening. I could, I could bring article after article about Christian nationalism and this and this going on in the church. And, and I, I, I've, I've, I've 
played sermons from Robert Jeffress and others like what what is this is so politically hijacked I've played clips from American Family Radio completely politically hijacked saying absolutely the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard American Family Radio is so politically hijacked from the right and they are they air on I mean their network is Christian radio stations all across the United States of America and an online presence and they are so politically hijacked from the right so if, if, if there is a political hijacking of the left where you have to embrace that to be the SBC president, okay, that, that's messed up. And if the, it, that has to be spoken against. Again, I, I, there's no disagreement with me on this. It just seems like you're, you're bothered. It, it, I, I can't completely understand because we're in agreement but it feels like that you want me to be more against the left than the right. But let me say it again. In most places where the left has taken over its ideology, those churches had already moved away from biblical theology. So I'm not worried about their leftist ideology. I'm worried about their abandonment of biblical theology. On the right, they haven't abandoned biblical theology, but they're now embracing right ideology that corrupts and begins to redefine biblical Christianity. And then they say this. Here is a quote from Nathan Finn's dissertation. So Nathan Finn is who they were going, and maybe I mentioned Nathan Finn and one of the messages they're referring to. Again, I do a lot of content, so it's hard to keep up with the thing. They say this. I define, a fun, I define fundamentalism as a militant conservative dissent against progressive trends in the church and the culture. Fundamentalism is a reactionary posture born out of concerns about real or perceived drift away from orthodox theology and faithful piety. Reads like something written by one of those who have crept in unawares. All right, let me read this carefully. All right, so this person believes this quote demonstrates that this person is one of those kinds of people described in Jude who has crept in unawares. All right. I define fundamentalism as a militant conservative dissent against progressive trends in the church and the culture. Now, now I guess this is, Nathan Finn wrote a dissertation against fundamentalism, but he seems to be defining it correctly. I think fundamentalist is a militant conservative dissent against progressive trends. Now, here's the thing. We got to define things. A conservative, Phil, fundamentalism, and I've talked about the history of fundamentalism a long time, and I have the fundamentals, I have the books stacked up behind me on a table behind the pulpit that I'm always telling everyone in my church, read these books, read the fundamentals. I've been telling people that my whole Christian life, because I think fundamentalism, I think the term has been so hijacked and misrepresented. So here's how I would say, fundamentalism is militant. Fundamentalism was where the evangelicals wanted to not be so combative and fight and try to find common ground. The fundamentalists were like, absolutely not. No common ground. We're going to stand our ground. So they were militant. And I believe there's a time to be militant. There is no compromise to biblical theology from the left or right. So in that sense, I refer to myself as a fundamentalist. And I, this, is, this is how I define it. A fundamentalist are those who stand for the fundamentals of biblical theology— 
So I, I, I say that I'm a fundamentalist for standing for the fundamentals of biblical theology, the doctrine of the Trinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, the inerrancy of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture. Those, though, the, uh, a, a, uh, interpreting the Bible in a historical, grammatical manner, on and on and on. There are those basic things that I believe that a fundamentalist are those who stands for the fundamentals of the faith. So in that sense, I'm a fundamental. Militant, because I don't, don't believe we should compromise. I believe we have to stand in at times. That means fight and contend for the faith. But we should do so in a biblical way, demonstrating love to our enemies. Against progressive trends. Now, when you say progressive trends, I'm not, I don't think of progressive in, in light of politics. I see progressive as progressive trends theologically. When new trends come into the church that are progressive and they move away from the fundamentals of the faith, then we militantly stand against that. That I completely agree. I don't know how he defines the word progressive, but that's how I would define it. Sorry, I had to cough there for a second. All right, so fundamental, standing for the fundamentals, militant that we fight, okay, but in a biblical way, against progressive trends, progressive theological trends is what we take a stand against in the church and in the culture. Now, that's the thing. I don't fight against progressive trends in the culture in the sense that the culture, they're, they're outside the church. They're lost. They need salvation. I don't need to fight the cultural trend. I need to give them the gospel. So there, I, I, I'm not, I don't know exactly where he would go there. Next, fundamentalism is a reactionary posture born out of concerns about real or perceived drift away from orthodox theology, completely agree, and faithful piety, completely agree. Fundamentalism is reactionary. Fundamentalism came about because the fundamentalists were looking around going, what's happening to the mainline denominations? They're falling apart. Remember, Fundamentalism was birthed not out of political concerns. Fundamentalism was birthed out of theological concerns. Higher criticism coming in from Europe. All of this now denying, who, you know, mosaic authorship, denying, changing the dating of what, what was written in the Old Testament so that it was no longer prophecy. It was written after the fact and destroying biblical prophecy, destroying the virgin birth, destroying the infallibility of scripture. It was a fight. It was a reaction against liberal theology that was abandoning biblical Christianity. That's what fundamentalism stood against. It was a fight against the liberal theology within the church. Now, somewhere along the line, I think fundamentalism jumped the shark and in many cases started to become more of like, we're going to fight about the culture and we're going to fight about everything the world is doing instead of saying, no, our job is to preach the gospel and call people to repentance. So I don't, I don't really know what is he saying there that's so wrong. Now, if he's saying that as he's condemning fundamentalism, then okay, then I agree. Uh, Again, this may be a situation where I'm supposed to know exactly what this dissertation is referring to. I may have referred to it in a different broadcast. Again, I refer to so many different things. But I will say this. If he is condemning fundamentalism, then yeah, I would have a disagreement with him. Now, as far as his definition here, I would need a little clarification, but there's much of that definition I could agree with. But make it very clear. People, things have crept in unawares in the church from the left 
and from the right. And Christianity is being rewritten and redefined by the left and the right. And those of us who are Christians have to decry and stand against both with the same equal fervor and not immediately think that if anyone says certain things about certain issues like racism, that immediately means they're liberal or woke. You can be very conservative and preach against racism. That's biblically to, biblical to do because you are racism attacks the image of God in human beings and treats them as less than being created in the image of God and as being equal, they must be condemned. That's not liberal. That's not woke. That's Bible. That's what I would say. And if you would like to hear some of that discussed and further, find my first two or three sermons and our study on the book of Jude, where I talk about invasion um, uh, into the church, um, I, I can't, insurgency in the church. I, I talk about a number of things. You can just find our series on Jude on the Church One app, Church One, Church O-N-E, or if you're using the Sermons 2.0 app, I think if you find us, Theology Central, you can go to series, find our series on Jude, go to the very beginning and listen to me. You don't have to listen to the whole series. I'm not, I don't, don't want to take up all your time, but if you listen to the first couple of messages, I think you'll get an idea of how I feel the church is under attack. But from both sides, from both sides, sides. And again, if you've got sermons out there that show critical race theory, by all means, I will I will take it apart. And if I can identify which sections of critical race theory it's attached to, then I, I will. But in many cases, what I've heard is supposedly critical race theory has not a thing to do with critical race theory. Has nothing to do with it. Zero. None. I think what some people think is if I say this is what I think sometimes is interesting. If I say America has a very racist history, um, racism was very much built into our country and has been a plague and has been a sin of this country for a very, very, very long time. And that sin was present in, outside the church and even inside the church. And the church made horrible mistakes in how it handled many race issues. And we were wrong about that. And we should repent of that and ensure that we can purge any racist mindset or attitudes outside of the church. If I start saying things like that, you'll, that's critical race theory. That's not critical race theory. That's not a thing to do with critical race theory. That's a dumb thing to do with historical reality and historical fact. Now, critical race theory would come along and go, okay, based off that reality, then how should this, how should we then move forward and maybe how we handle legal cases? Because it's, a, it's an academic thing in many cases dealing with law and and legal proceedings. I mean, I can't go through the entire history of critical race theory, but in many cases, that's what it's about. My my approach would be acknowledgement, confession, repentance, move on, and, and treat others um, as, I don't know, people creating the image of God with dignity and sanctity to their life and treat them with respect and love. And who cares about the color of their skin? That's not critical race theory. That's called godliness. That's called right. That's called doing the right thing. Right? So I think we're in complete agreement in almost everything. Maybe your view of what critical race theory, we may disagree on that. The only thing is you're going after everything from the left, the left, the left, the left. And that's what always happens. 
Anytime I speak, everybody's like, oh my goodness, he's going after the, the he's going after the right uh, hijacking of the church. He's ignoring the left. I'm not ignoring the left. It's just in most cases, when I look at the left, I'm like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I'm not worried about the gay pride flag, or I'm not worried about the BLM flag. I'm not worried about those things that they got going at that church. Man, they don't even believe in the deity of Christ, the infallibility of scripture. This church is not even Christian. So then I don't see it as the hijacking of a church. I see it the hijacking of a group that's already apostate. So what's the issue with that? Not the left ideology, it's the theology. So I've, I, when I'm dealing with someone on the left, a church from the left, I've got to deal with it from a theological ground because that other stuff is just a distraction. Their problem is they abandon biblical theology. On the right, it hurts me because it's like, no, man, you've got such good biblical theology over there. What, what are you doing? Don't bring in all of that political nonsense. Don't get so distracted by thinking that anytime someone says racism, that it's critical race theory and you act crazy. No, 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 no. Stay true to your biblical theology and, and keep your focus on that, not all of that other nonsense. That is why I focus on the right far more and not the left. All right, there we go. You can email me your, your reply if you need to. News if at Yahoo. Well, you already you can reply the same way you replied there because that sent it to a different email address. That's perfectly okay. You can reply using the contact form that you used or the or the response form that you use. Perfectly okay. Or you can email me directly at newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com, whatever you feel most comfortable with. I want to thank you very, very, very much for taking the time to write. I I think we're actually in far more agreement than maybe you think we are. You just may not like my, um, you may not like my approach to the right hijacking of the church, but I think we're in agreement that we, I don't think you nor I want the church to be hijacked. I don't think you or I want biblical uh, theology to be compromised. I think we're in agreement. I just have a, I just have a perspective that I think a lot of people misunderstand. So I think, I I don't want to say, I hope I didn't offend you because I, I don't think you should have been offended because I think we're kind of saying the same thing. It's just I'm trying to help you see the other side. That that if that makes some kind of sense, right? But nothing was personal, nothing was directed, at, nothing was you. These are issues that I have to deal with every single time I speak on anything related to politics and the church. Everyone seems to get mad at me about this. And a lot of people disagree with me, and I understand that. And if you disagree, perfectly okay. The good thing is, is our disagreement on this. I hope you understand that our faith, that our being a, 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 you know, part of the family of God is based off our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone. And hopefully you're trusting in Christ. I'm trusting in Christ and that we will continue to grow in, in the study of God's word. And maybe, maybe over time, we'll move even closer together in some of these issues. I pray that you continue to grow. Pray for me that I'll continue to grow and pray that as I continue to study God's word, that if I, if you feel that I'm in error, pray that I will ultimately see it in my study of God's word and I will change my perspective. But um, I, I hope that you will take everything that I said in the spirit that it was meant to just have a very direct and blunt conversation about issues that are tearing the church apart. And, not, and not, not even directed at you, directed towards the issues that, well, are literally tearing the church apart in the United States of America. 
So those of us who have these disagreements, we need to have these conversations because we need to stick together as much as humanly possible because the church is being ripped apart by this political division. And uh, I think it's I think it's a wicked pl- scheme and we need to fight against it and try to find that biblical unity that we can have. All right, thanks for listening. God bless.